Welcome to CooperCast Go Ask Al, episode number 13. This is your host, Al's Paramecium, John Sachs. Al talks about key moments in rock history, thoughts on the loving spoonful, and as always, after each of Al's answers, Nilly the dog adds a brief comment. We, we've covered this, but let's just clear this up. <laughs> T. Combaum, so that's Comb, he says, big fan in the 70s, listened to Brand New Day in New York City over and over, uh, strictly because nobody else was familiar with them, which is kind of a left-handed compliment. But anyway, I did have a college... No, that's a right-handed insult. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I did have a college friend who insisted that the woman on the back cover was Al in drag. Can you confirm or deny? That was my second wife. Who was actually quite beautiful and therefore... Yeah, I, I could never look like that. Right, so even if Al had wanted to, he couldn't have looked like it. It was not Al, it was his, his wife. I, uh, play, I played New York City and she played the woman. Right. <laughs> All right, this is another very specific kind of a question from William A. Herbert. He wants to know, is the recorded show at the Joyous Lake in Woodstock in the mid-90s with you, Jimmy Vivino, Mike Merritt, and John Sebastian ever going to be released? I didn't even know it was recorded, So okay. much less released. So you don't have it to put it on the box set? <clears throat> no, I don't. Sounds like a great band, though. Vivino, Mike Merritt, John Sebastian, and Al Cooper, huh? Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, now, this is kind of an interesting question. Uh, J.V. Hoffman wants to know, besides your example of how you got into the session for Like a Rolling Stone, can you think of another key moment in the history of rock and roll where one individual's vim and verve led to a major event in said history? I think probably Elvis. Elvis, just by being Elvis? Yeah. Yeah. She remember Leo Sayer? Didn't he jump on stage and start singing, and he, he sang so well that he got a career out of it? He recorded one of my songs. Did he? Yeah. Huh. Lost Control. Huh. But I think he started his career by just jumping on stage and grabbing the mic. I'm not sure. He was a nice guy. I met him a couple of times. Hmm. Yeah. Any other moments where somebody seized the moment and changed rock history? I'm sure. I suppose when uh, Bloomfield put Johnny Winter on stage at uh, the Fillmore, that was one of those. Yeah. Because Johnny Winter came through and the audience was like, wow. And when, and when Blues Project played um, uh, Cafe Agogo repeatedly mm -hmm. and built up a following. Yeah. There's this other place around the corner where the Love and Spoonful played. Mm. I can't think of the name of it now because I'm so old. Uh, but it was a, you know, it was a place that was at least as big as the Cafe Gogo. Yeah, and they played there all the time. You know, I was thinking about the Love and Spoonful, who were a very favorite band of mine, and I was thinking about how they have. That guy that died was great, uh, Zal Yanofsky. Yeah, f phenomenal. Not well-remembered as a guitarist, but he was a wonderful guitar player. He was a wonderful person. Yeah. He was very funny. Yeah. And he was a great guy. Yeah. 
So it was very sad. Yeah, he, well, he had retired from rock. He was a TV producer in Canada. Really? Yeah, he didn't stay in rock. There's a very weird story that you can look up on YouTube where Chris Christopherson says that after the, he left The Spoonful, Chris hired Zal to play as his lead guitarist. Yeah. And he couldn't stay with him for the reason that, just to be a goofball, he would reach over and detune the other guitar player's guitar. He would just reach over and twist the tuning peg. <laughs> and the other guitarist, like, <clears throat> it's really, him. really didn't appreciate that, didn't think it was funny at all. It's not if you're the other guitar player. Right, but apparently it's one of the reasons Zal was sort of drummed out of the spoonful. It was he was just getting too freaky and weird, and they couldn't take it anymore. That's too bad. He was a very nice guy. Yes, he was. But one of the things that occurred to me, I was an enormous Spoonful fan back in high school, and they have a reputation of musically and otherwise of just being, they were really sweet. They were not hard rock at all. They were really, uh, but the name, The Love and Spoonful, is the druggiest name of any band. Love and Spoonful refers to heroin. Oh, yeah, a spoonful of heroin. I mean, that's absurd that this sweet, warm bunch I'm of... sure there were other names that were equal to that. Right, but if you go Beatles, Rolling Stones, The Blues Project, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, there's no name that comes to my mind immediately that's as absolutely druggy as The Love and Spoonful. But if you don't realize it's heroin, it's just very sweet. It's loving and a spoonful. It's so sweet but it refers to heroin. It's bizarre. Not like Big Brother and the Holgan Company. Right, right. Yeah, or Chicago Transit Authority. Or the Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead, right. Drug-related, but not exactly, yeah. Very drug-related. <laughs> so this started out with um, key moments in the history of rock. Uh, do we have any others that come to mind? I don't know. Well, you talk about it wasn't a key moment in the history of rock, but you talked about when uh, you dropped into uh, the office on a Saturday at 1650, and the boss says, I want you... Oh, when Gene Pitney got discovered. Yeah, so I want you to hear this guy, and it was Gene Pitney, and it blew your mind. It was very good. Yeah. Well, we did a whole episode on Gene Pitney, so... This has been CooperCast, Go Ask Al, episode number 13. Brought to you by The Table Spoonful. Look for more episodes coming up and subscribe at Apple, Spotify, or just about anywhere and tell your friends.